I still remember where I was standing when my dad called me about 11 years ago and told me that he had been diagnosed with cancer. Standing in my kitchen at our house in South Carolina, and he called me and, and just let me know that the doctors had found some stuff, and you know, he told me it wasn't a big deal, you know, it's going to be fine, and not to worry about it, and all of those kind of things. And then as time went on, of course, he continued to go to the doctor and get scans and all of these things. Began treatments, and as time went on, it seemed like every scan got a little bit worse. Well, a few months passed, and it seemed like as the months passed and the scans got a little bit worse, everybody began, or continued, I should say, praying, but began praying harder, praying more and more, Lord, do something. Lord, take this cancer away. Lord, help in this situation. Intervene. And every time a new scan would, would be scheduled, I would just know going in, this will be the scan, that things will turn around. Nothing seemed to change. Everything seemed to get worse. He continued his battle with cancer for a year and a month, and then he passed away. And when he passed, I know from myself, from those in my family, from friends in the community, a lot of questions as to why this would happen. Specifically, why, when so many people were praying for God to do something, did he not get better? Why, when so many people were asking God and believing in faith that God would heal him, why did he not get healed? Just so many questions of why, and I think even today, some still in my family still ask that question, and that's been 10 years ago. As we look at times like that in our lives, the truth is we all go through difficulties like that. You know, that, that was just one difficulty in my life that was significant, but we all go through difficult times. If you think about times in your life where maybe you've lost a loved one, you've lost a job, you've had a bad diagnosis, you've had a, a heartbreak or a loss of some type, there are probably times when all of us go through a situation or a difficulty and we ask why. We wonder why. Maybe even for months or years afterwards, we still find ourselves wondering why God would do something like this or allow something like this to happen in our lives. You know, ever since sin came into the world, we live in a broken world full of sickness and hurt and disease and all of these things that was never, these things were never really an original part of the world, but because sin is here, we've been affected by sin and this brokenness and all of this, and so now we all go through difficult times from the very beginning until even today. And as we look to John chapter 11 today, we're going to see a situation where a family was going through a very difficult time that led them to have many of the emotions, many of the questions that we also have during our seasons of difficulty. I've entitled the message this morning, Why? Searching for God's Purpose in Difficulty. And I think that's what we all do, isn't it? We search for God's purpose in our difficult times, like why are we going through this? And so this morning, as you think about your own life, maybe you're going through a difficult time right now, 
Maybe you've just come out of a season of difficulty. Maybe you don't know it, and you're getting ready to go into a season of difficulty. We're going to look at God's Word and see this family who also went through a difficult time. And as we look to them, we're going to see some some, uh, reactions there that may not be surprising to us because we feel the same way. But we're also going to look at some things that may seem surprising to us, some responses from Jesus or from others that may seem very different than how we would expect Scripture to portray uh, these individuals. And so let's begin in John chapter 11, verse 1, kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture, but I want to go through it. We'll stop at different times and discuss what's going on, but I want you to, to really soak in this situation this morning. It says, now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, talking about Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now stop there for just a moment and think about what's going on here. Someone is is very, very sick, Lazarus, and his family knew and believed that Jesus could do something in the midst of his sickness. They had heard, even seen Jesus heal many sick people, and they knew that Jesus had the ability to heal Lazarus in his sickness. And so they did what they should have done, what we all should, should think about doing and should do, send for Jesus. Ask Jesus to help. Jesus, verse 4, it says, When Jesus heard it, he said... This sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I want to stop there and bring two points to your mind here. First of all, it tells us the reason for what Lazarus was going through, one of the reasons, in that Jesus would be glorified. And we're going to see that play out throughout the situation here, but look at what Jesus says here. He says, this sickness will not end in death. Now, that sounds super positive, right? Super exciting, like Jesus is going to go and and heal Lazarus from his sickness. Lazarus won't die. Jesus is getting ready to respond to this. But now something very strange and interesting, I think, happens in this story. This passage that we don't really expect. And as John's writing this, I think he knows that we don't expect this. And so he gives us this detail in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So before we read verse 6, understand that Jesus loved them. He was close to them. He cared about their situation. But then we get to verse 6 and look at Jesus' response to this message. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place that he was. This is strange, isn't it? Jesus didn't immediately respond. Jesus didn't go right away to heal Lazarus. In fact, he waited. He waited two whole days. We're going to find out that he waited so long that something changed in the story. Verse 7 says, Then after that, Jesus says to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day, Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. 
He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now stop there for just a moment and take this in. Jesus waits two whole days to go and Lazarus has died. Now, many theologians and and Bible scholars have kind of uh, played out the timeline here, and, and we know that the reality is even if Jesus had gone right away, that because of the time it took the messenger to get uh, to Jesus, because of the time that it would have taken Jesus to get there, we'll see when Jesus shows up, Lazarus has been dead four days. Chances are Lazarus would have already died if Jesus had gone right away. But even still, we're going to find a family who's mourning over somebody who's passed, and Jesus is waiting. And we know the reason he waited, the first purpose, was that he would be glorified, but now we're going to see a second purpose brought to our attention here. And again, an interesting reaction from Jesus. Look at verse 15. I'm glad for you, talking to his disciples, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Jesus says, I'm glad I didn't go right away. I'm glad I didn't just happen to be there to be able to heal him from his sickness because I'm going to do something bigger, something that Martha and Mary, Lazarus' family, they don't understand. They don't know about yet, but I'm doing something bigger, and he's telling his disciples what's going on so that I'll be glorified and you can believe. And so they get ready to go, and verse 16, Thomas says, it says, then Thomas called twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go too so that we can die with them. Kind of being a a smart aleck, you know. Saying, they want to kill us, let's go there and we're all going to die. Well, when Jesus arrives, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming... She went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. We see this response from Martha. She, she knows, hey, if Jesus would have been there to heal him, he wouldn't have died. But she still trusts Jesus. She still believes in Jesus. She says, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Well, Jesus says in verse 23, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. She had faith. She trusted Jesus. Well, it says, having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Kind of a different response here. Same sentence, but you notice there's no extra sentence added for belief or trust. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. As we look to this story, one of the things that I'm thankful for is that this story provides a clear picture of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that we should place all of our, all of our faith and hope and trust in. But something that the disciples here, and now us, because we're reading this, got to understand and got to know were the purposes of why God allowed this to happen in this way. Really, it it was two things. One, that Jesus would be glorified, and secondly, that people would come to believe. And if you look, that's exactly what happened in this situation. Jesus was glorified, and many people came to believe. This passage tells us exactly why God allowed these things. But again, we come back to the question, why does God allow us to go through our difficulties? Why is God allowing you or, or bringing you to a place that you're going through what you're going through right now or, or having to go through what you will go through? Why does God do that? And if I'm honest this morning, the truth is that none of us can fully know for sure. We can't fully know for sure why things happen in this life. Sometimes as we're going through the situation or sometimes looking back in hindsight, we can look back and say, oh, I understand God did this or God did that in my situation or I see this small picture of what God is doing right now through this moment. But to be able to answer fully, the truth is none of us can fully know why. And when you're in the middle of knowing why, our responses, or, or trying to understand why, our responses sometimes could be like Martha's or like Mary's. To say, Lord, if you would have done something or if you do something, like, I would love for that, but I still trust in you. I still believe in who you are. Or maybe like Mary's in that you're just upset and angry. Lord, if you would have done something, this would have been different. And if I'm honest, there are different points in my life that I've felt both ways. 
And regardless of how you feel this morning, I want to bring out some promises, some, some truths from this passage that we can apply to our situations when we're asking why, our difficulties that we're going through, some things that we have to remember and hold on to. And as we look to this situation, I want you to understand about your situation, that your situation is being used by God for a purpose. I can tell you that plainly and truthfully this morning, that your situation is being used by God for a purpose. Let me tell you, this situation, the end goal here wasn't just about raising Lazarus. The end goal was seeing Jesus glorified and seeing people come to faith in him. And you may say, well, preacher, how do you know that? Well, if you look in the very next chapter, Lazarus ends up getting murdered. And the reason he ends up getting murdered is because so many people are believing in Jesus. They said, we've got to do away with this guy, Lazarus, because so many people are believing in Jesus because of him. And so again, it wasn't a, a fairy tale ending for Lazarus and his family. There was a purpose that God was working out here in this situation. And those purposes, we've already seen the two, are in verse 4, verse 15, that God would receive glory and that people would believe in Jesus. And while you may not specifically know what God is doing in your situation, I want you to know that God's word does speak generally to difficulties in life, and it does give us some promises. And I want to show you one of those promises in the book of Romans. Keep your finger in John. Turn to Romans for just a moment. Romans chapter 8. Now, this is a verse that oftentimes we quote, but I want you to read it this morning. I want you to see it in black and white in front of you. The writer of Romans writes, Romans 8.28, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, what's interesting there, if you look at the Greek word for all, it means all. All means all. Not some things, not the nice things, the things that you want in life. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And as we think about our situations, you might be thinking, well, well preacher, that this passage is not written to my situation. Like, what is this even talking about? Understand that the church that this was written to, they were facing persecution. And even in the midst of persecution, being mistreated, being killed even for their faith, the writer could confidently say that even that, God is working that for good. Man, it's crazy to think about all the things God is doing and amazing to think about all the things God is doing that we don't even understand sometimes. And we may question, how could my situation be for good? And it's difficult for us to understand that. But I think about a song that I remember somebody singing when I was a kid, and that's just stuck in my head. It's called Trust His Heart. And the lyrics to the chorus say this, God is too wise to be mistaken. 
God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Trust his heart. God loves you. He cares about you more than you even care about yourself. He cares about your situation and understands your situation even more than you ever could. And he has a purpose. He has a plan that he is working out. And he may not show you right this moment, but you have to trust him. Lean upon him. Understand that he's working something out so much bigger. Well, this event that we see in John 11 He's allowed us to see some of the purposes, allowed his disciples to see that. But even in the midst of that, what we see here is a situation, a difficulty that is full of emotion for everybody. I mean, if you just stop and look at the different emotions that people were experiencing going through this situation, we see in verse, like I said, verse 19, that many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them. They were upset. We see verse 21 and 22 where Martha has faith. Verse 31 and 32 where people were crying and and consoling one another and Mary upset in many ways. And then even in verse 35, we see Jesus crying. Tons of emotions going on in this situation. And I want you to know this morning, a second reality for you to hold on to in your time of difficulty is having deep emotions about your situation is not wrong. Having deep emotions about your situation is not wrong. Some of you may have felt bad for having strong emotions in your difficulty. Now let me say the Bible's clear that we shouldn't sin in our emotions. We shouldn't sin in our anger or anything like that toward God or toward other people. But having emotions, deep emotions, is not wrong. Let me say, I mentioned that about my dad. One of the things that I really felt in that season of life with my dad, I was on staff at a church. A lot of my family, they were coming to me with questions like, why is God doing this? Or, or what does God think my response should be? And those kind of things. And I felt like I had to have it all together for everybody. I felt like that if I began to shed tears, that it would show to other people around me that I didn't trust God. I felt like that if I were upset in any way, that it would show that, that, you know, that it bothered me or that, it was, or that I had questions myself. And so I thought to be a good Christian, to be a, a pastor to my family and friends, that I couldn't show any kind of emotion and I had to keep it all together. But I want you to know this morning, that is the farthest thing from the truth. We are able to share emotions and to show emotions. You look at verse 35, even Jesus wept. Even Jesus cried. I know some of us men think, well, it's not a manly thing to cry. I don't know a bigger man than Jesus. And Jesus wept. He had emotions about situations, and he was willing to show those emotions Jesus understands what you're going through, and I want to show you in 1 Peter chapter 5, turn there for just a moment, what we're commanded to do in times of emotion, times of difficulty. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and verse 7. Verse 7. 
1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7. As you think about your situation, listen to what God's Word says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on Him, because He cares about you. First, it tells us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And I think for some of us, the idea of showing our emotions, showing that we need help from God, showing that we're hurting can be a humbling thing. You know, we try to act tough. We try to act like we've got it all together. We need to humble ourselves and be willing to admit before God and and before other people that we're struggling. We need some help. We need some encouragement. And it tells us plainly in verse 7 that we can cast all of our cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares about us. This morning, do you need to go before the Lord and cast your cares upon him? Understand, in your time of difficulty, I think there are at least three, uh, three great gifts that God gives us for navigating times of difficulty. First is the Holy Spirit, who's God with us to help us navigate these times. Secondly, I think it's uh, godly brothers and sisters around us who the Bible says that if we're the church that we're called to be, we're going to carry one another's burdens. We're going to help each other through these difficult times. And God has given us these two great gifts, but there's a third one I want you to see back in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 25, look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Listen, here's a third and I think the greatest promise, the greatest certainty and difficulty is that this life, what we experience in this life for the Christian is absolutely as bad as it's going to get. If we are in Jesus, if we have the hope of Christ, we have the hope of eternal life and heaven forever, and what we are experiencing right here and now is just a blip on the timeline, and it pales in in comparison to the glory and greatness that we will experience one day with Jesus. Can we say amen to that? I mean, if, if that doesn't give you hope, if that doesn't give you some kind of positive outlook about your situation, I don't know what will. Because no matter what we go through, if we know Jesus, we have the hope of life. Now, on the flip side, let me say this morning, if you're navigating your difficulty and you don't know Jesus, the truth is I'm not sure how you're doing it. And the truth is, This life is as good as it's going to be for you. But the gospel tells us, the good news of Scripture tells us that it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, that's the reason Jesus came was because he loves you. We mentioned sin and the brokenness that sin brings into the world. The fact is that sin brings death, not just generally speaking, but we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what we've earned because of our sin is separation from God and eternal punishment and hell. But Jesus came because he lived sinlessly, perfectly, the spotless Lamb of God. He never sinned, but yet he died a criminal's death on the cross to pay your punishment, my punishment for our sin. On the third day, the Bible says Jesus came back to life. He ascended back to heaven, and one day he's coming again, and the Bible says that anyone who repents and believes in him can be saved and have this life that Jesus is talking about. 
And so if you want to have hope for life, if you want to have hope for eternity, call upon the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Tell God, I believe Jesus died on the cross and came back to life, and I want to be saved, and I want to follow him. I want to give you my heart, give you my life. And the Bible says if you pray that and really mean it, and you want to live your life to follow Jesus, then you can have true life, an abundant life. You can have hope for tomorrow, hope for your difficulty. Jesus came to save. And in fact, that's really what the point in this miracle, of this miracle was in John 11. Go to verse 45. It says, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him. Tons of people were believing in Jesus. That's the reason he came, so we could have life in him and believe in him and trust in him. And again, this was one of the purposes of this situation, but we don't know exactly what God is up to in our situation, but I can tell you this. God is always concerned with your spiritual health. He's always concerned with your spiritual growth. He's always concerned with people having faith in him. And so I can tell you this, that no matter what you're going through, another promise, another reality that we see from this passage that we can apply to our own lives is that God uses these situations to test and grow our faith. God uses situations that we go through, difficulties that we go through, to test and grow our faith. I want to show you one more passage, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4. This is another great passage to hold on to in your time of difficulty. James 1, 2, 3, and 4 says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He says, consider it joy, no matter what you're going through. Again, the early Christians were going through persecutions. They could even consider that joy. Our situations, no matter what we go through, we can consider it a great joy because what God is doing with it to test our faith, to grow our faith, and as we hear those words, if you're in the middle of your difficulty right now, I know what you're thinking because I've thought it before. Consider it joy. Like, you, like I can really, or I should really consider this joy, this time in my life. And listen, when we're going through these times, we're going to have various emotions. And where you are right now, you may not be able to see the joy in your time. You know, there may be more heartache and grief that you're experiencing right now than joy, but I can tell you this, hold on to the Lord, trust in him, and as time goes on, weeks, months, years maybe, you'll be able to look back and say, look at some of the things God did. I'm in a different place spiritually right now than I was then. My family member got saved through that situation. God really used that to, to strengthen that part of my life. And even if one of these days you're not able to fully see that, maybe one day when we're with the Lord, he'll give us minds to be able to understand all things and to know, oh, that's what he did. 
I didn't think it was good then, but I see that now. And as people see the Lord working in you, and they see the Lord just working in general, God's going to do some amazing things. I've been encouraged and strengthened just from some of you as you've navigated some of your difficulties in life, and I've seen how you handle them. I see how God is working in your life, and I've been encouraged personally by that. And I know some of you have probably been encouraged by other people. So as we get to moments like these that we all have, we've seen the promises. We've seen that God's Word shows us some of these truths, that He's working out a plan, that, that He's going to use it for, for our good and for His glory, all of these things. But what should our response be? You know, it still doesn't answer the question, why? What should our response be when we have these questions and we're looking to these truths? I think it's two things. Two uh, decisions that we need to make. The first is, when we're navigating times of difficulty, we have to first pray to Jesus in faith that he would do something in our situation. You remember Mary and Martha's first response? Send for Jesus. Go get Jesus. That should be our first response, right? We're going through a tough time. We're going to tell Jesus about it. We're going to ask him to do something. Some of you today have been trying to handle your situation all by yourself because maybe you don't want to bother God or maybe you feel like, well, I, I, I don't need to ask for that or maybe you feel like, well, you know, God won't do anything anyway. No, God tells us in his word to pray to him and repeatedly come to him. And so this morning in just a few minutes when we have our time of decision as we sing, some of you need to come down front and pray and give your difficulty over to God because you've yet to do it. Some of you have prayed, but you haven't prayed in faith, actually believing that Jesus can do something about it. Let me ask you, do you believe that Jesus can handle things and, and make a difference in our situations? Do you believe that? I mean, if you believe it, then pray like you believe it. Some of you need to come and do that this morning. We have to go to Jesus. But sec secondly, there's another part that we have to remember. We pray to Jesus in faith but then we trust his response. We pray to Jesus in faith, and then we trust his response. And you know, that can be the hardest thing to do. That can be the hardest thing to do is to trust his response. To trust that he loves you, he's working out what's good even if you can't see it, that can be so difficult to do. And some of you today, don't need to necessarily come and pray for your situation because you've done it and you're continuing to do it, but some of you need to come and say, God, help me to trust your response. If it's not exactly what I'm asking for, help me to trust that you love me and that you're doing what's best for me. Some of you had something happen years ago in your life and you still haven't trusted God for his decision in that moment. And this morning, when we have our time of commitment, you need to come and just give it over to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Even if I have emotions about it, even if I feel different ways, I'm going to trust you, and I need you to help me do that. While I know some of the situations that are happening in our church, I don't know all of what each one of you are going through. I don't know specifically why, why God has allowed certain circumstances 
and situations to happen in your life. But I do know this, and I know this because the Bible tells us this, that God loves you. He knows and he understands what you're going through. And he has a purpose for it. He has a plan for it. And I can promise you this, that he's going to use it for your good and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, around the room today, I know because this is just how life goes. I know that we have a lot of people who are going through difficult seasons of life or maybe asking questions. Lord, this morning, I know some decisions need to be made. Some prayers need to be offered. Lord, through the power of your spirit, I want you to, I'm asking you to work in our hearts and our, our lives this morning. Bring us to a place where we can come before you and be honest with you. Lord, bring us to a place where we can trust you. And no matter what we go through, even if we're upset, even if it hurts, Lord, help us to lean upon you. We're thankful that you can intervene at any moment. And we know that sometimes you wait for us to pray before you do that. And so, Lord, for that person here this morning who needs faith in that way, I pray for them. For that person who needs faith to trust you, I lift them up to you. Lord, help us to not leave this place today without praying to you and trusting you and making those decisions that we need to make about our situations and about you and our lives. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.